Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Brent's Games podcast on the Blizzard. My name is Mark Speller. With me, of course, is Jonathan Wilson. With us today is Paul Myers, the sports editor at Radio France International's English service. Paul, a pleasure to have you on the pod. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very honoured. <laughs> oh, not at all, uh, Paul. It's uh, oh, this is uh, this this is um, quite the game you've picked here, and I'm, and I'm delighted to uh, to say that today we go back to the 12th of February, 2012 Africa Cup of Nations final in Libreville, a game that ended 0-0 between Zambia and Ivory Coast. But of course, Zambia won the game 8-7 on penalties. Paul, why have you chosen this game? Because I remember being completely engulfed in the sentiment. Um, I'm, I wasn't a great football historian uh, before taking up my position as a sports editor. Um, and gradually, I obviously got to know about the, the story of Zambian football. And well, here's the story to be quite dull about it. I first went to the Africa Cup of Nations in Ghana in 2008. Um, and I was in the presence of Kulusha Bawalia. And I was just really not that impressed because I didn't know who he was. And uh, one of my RFI colleagues said, that's Kulusha Bawalia. And I just kind of raised an eyebrow. And that's the extent of my ignorance at, at the time. And I, so I went back and looked up and thought, okay, yeah, he's an important bloke. Mm. And I then got to meet him um, in 2010 in Angola and got his number and, um, and just got to know a bit about him and what he'd done. And I interviewed him for, for one of my programs on the um, on the English service, uh, when he told me about uh, his plans to employ Hervé Renard and build a team and um, of youngsters, quite reminiscent of, the, of how he had grown up in the Zambia national football team, and to create a project, and and that's where it started. And um, I, I chose I. Just got very involved in the Zambian project without being kind of completely convinced about it. And of course, um, you know, strangely enough, I, I spoke uh, to Jonathan just before the start of the 2012 Africa Cup of Nations. And um, no, at no point during our five minute chat did he mention, oh, Zambia, they've got a really good chance. <laughs> <of winning." laughs> yeah. And um, he said, you know, Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, and we rapped about uh, Cote d'Ivoire. But um, at no point was Zambia on anybody's radar, radar I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they just weren't. I mean, I guess they'd have been 10th, 11th favourite, something like that. But, <laughs> but of course, I mean, the thing, we, we should explain the sort of the, 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 the history of Zambia and, and why, why Kalusha is, is such, a, such a huge figure. Um. So the, the team he grew up in is this great young team, and they went mm. to the went to the Olympics in '88, and they beat Italy four 0 and Kalusha scored a hat trick. There's this brilliant young team, and um, they were uh, heavily backed by um, Kenneth Thunder, the 
the uh, very left-wing president of, of Zambia, and they were known as the, the KK11 because you know, they were so associated with him. When he lost power in the early 90s at the end of the Cold War, when his brand of socialism wasn't viable anymore, um, the funding sort of dried up for, for Zambian football. And the, the, the terrible consequence of that was they, they started flying to games in this old military plane that wasn't really fit for purpose. And they had a couple of hairy moments. And then they were going to a, to a, uh, to a game in Senegal, so flying from, from Zambia to Senegal, and they refueled in Libreville. This is 1993. And as the plane took off from Libreville, it exploded. And uh, 18 players and four coaches were killed. Kalusha and a couple of other players weren't on the plane because they played in Europe, so they were making their own way to Senegal. Kalusha then, and he was still a young man then, um, is sort of at the centre of, of the efforts to put the team together. Ian Porterfield comes in as coach, yeah, who scored the winner in the 73 Cup final for Sunderland, was... <laughs> Was Chelsea manager for a while, um, and they they did extraordinarily well, um, and they got to the final of the ninety four Cup of Nations where they lost to the, the great Nigeria, um, and they also got to within one game of qualifying for ninety four World Cup, and they lost the final game to Morocco, and the referee for that game was from Gabon, and there was a lot of political issues between Gabon and Zambia about the crash, about who should pay for the investigation about even who should pay for the repatriation of the bodies, really, you know, what should be very basic stuff. And it became very, very hostile and very, very unpleasant. And there was this real tension between Zambia and Gabon at a political level and at a sporting level. And so Zambia hadn't played in Gabon between in Libreville between 1993 and 2012. And the, the tournament in 2012 was split between Equatorial Guinea and Gabon. And the only way they could play in Libreville Zambia, the way the draw worked, was if they got to the final. So it just, I don't know if anybody was even thinking that this was a possibility because the, the yeah. thought of them getting to the final was, was incredibly remote. So that, that's, that's, I mean, Kalisha had become president of the FA by then and, and you know, as, as, as Paul says, it, it had begun his own project with, with Evi Rena, um, the former Cambridge manager who's now, I think, very well known. But at the time, he was just a guy who used to be a dustbin man in France, right? He wasn't. <laughs> well, no, it's a bit more than that. He's a dustbin man with a dream. Yeah. <laughs> and a great um, wardrobe, we should say, as well. Before oh, he became the sort of MacGyver of African football. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, to be fair, it was a very, very simple... I, I was watching the um, the final because, as Jonathan said, it wasn't a great final, and I thought it was me getting rather mixed up in the emotions of it that I'd just forgotten about the football on the field. Um, but it wasn't a great final, having having looked back at it. And but what I do remember are just these sartorial moments where Javier <laughs> Renard is in this white shirt and looking like, yeah, as you say, <laughs> chiselled and MacGyverish, yeah. and um, Francois. Zahoui, uh, the uh, Francois Zahoui, the uh, Cote d'Ivoire coach, who was in quite a slick grey mm. suit with a white shirt and an orange tie, and and then he was wearing a baseball cap as well. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, no, that's that's just not right. <laughs> if you look at the other the, the other bench and uh, what uh, what Renard is wearing, but obviously somebody said something to Zahoui because at a certain point he took the cap off and looked much more presidential <laughs> and elegant <laughs> and he looked the part yeah i mean Jonathan, very yeah of course jonathan when you went to the africa cup of nations this year in 2012 
were you? I mean, you, perhaps you may have been aware of some of the history of Zambia uh, and what you've just uh, talked about there. Was was that was that being talked about by by anybody, or is it as as Zambia grew into the tournament? I mean, with Zambia, you you, you always know about the tragedy, you know about pollution, mm. you know about the importance of this role, but they they were just a they were just another team. They they, they were there to make up the numbers. Nobody was sort of considering them as as you know as potential winners, and it was only when I mean, the first game they beat Senegal two one, and that, that I think is when people sort of sat up a little bit and thought, oh, actually, maybe this is quite a good Zambia team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember, uh, would it have been two thousand and might have been two thousand two, might have been two thousand six. I can't remember. And they they had a, a good forward called Blessing Campamba, and I remember spending a bit of time with him. And, and there was a sort of sense then that Zambian football was building, but I mean, this was a long time before. Uh, it must have been 2006. So that's six years early, and Campan was you know, well out of the way by then. Hmm. And, and you know, a lot of this team, I'm not, very few of this team, have, you played in Europe. A lot of them played in Zambia, uh, and I think in some ways that, that helped Renard that he was able to get them together. And the, the the thing that was very very obvious being around their camp, as I was for the last sort of week of the tournament, was the sort of the the the, the very sort of collegiate sense. There there was a a, a real kind of close knit family sense. And Renard's role in that was was critical. That he was he was one of them, but he was also very clearly a leader. And I mean, there's a moment in the final where um, uh, what's he called the right back uh, Davies Davies and Kausu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I I remember Davies and Kausu got dragged too far forward, and he, he was he was by the bench because he was playing right back, and Renard literally punches him in the chest, like not not a little push, a real boom punch. As he's telling him, don't ever go that far forward. You you can't let Javinho get in behind you because his pace is going to destroy you. You've got to sit deep. You've got to give him room. And and, and Renard explained all this afterwards because people said, why why were you punching in Kausu during the second half? Um, but yeah, and actually, and then Kausu's reaction was great because his reaction was to kind of to, to calm Renard down. And it, it 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 was like I don't know, it was like a a nephew calming down his cranky old uncle, you know, or, or his granddad. Grandpa, yeah, I, I get it. I know, I know. Calm down. It's it's fine. So there was that, that closeness, and maybe you wouldn't have had that if they had been dispersed all over the world. Yeah. I, Paul, did did Renard have much of a reputation, really, going into this tournament in his native France? Because, I mean, he'd, Jonathan mentioned, you know, he'd have a, sort of a brief stint at Cambridge United. He'd managed lower league French level, and I think he'd married in, managed, sorry, in Vietnam. So Zambia was sort of his first big job, as, as, as far as I could see, if you could even call that a big job. Well, that's the thing, because my first Nations Cup, as I said, was in Ghana, and that was, uh, and he was Claude Loire's assistant. Mm. For Ghana, and uh, and he'd started off actually as the physical preparation trainer, so he didn't even go in as an assistant coach. He went in as the the guy who got them through their routines, and then and in uh, fairness, yeah, Eddie yeah. Renard's physical preparation of himself. His first say, yeah. He certainly walked the walk, didn't he? Yeah. As we would see uh, years later in another final. But um, and the great thing about it was he had this great sense of self-deprecation because you know he says, hey, you know, I am big and I am blonde and I am good looking, and so you know he he, he knew his part, and he took. That's, and I think he took that side of coaching very, very seriously. And so as Claude Loire's 
uh, a system. So that's where he got his first taste of it. Mm-hmm. But he was always known as Claude Loire's assistant. So when he got this first job, mm-hmm. um, at Zambia, you say, not really a big position. And I think that's and when I did speak to Kapelusha uh, Boalia, he said that was precisely the kind of guy that he wanted somebody who was ambitious who wanted to prove something who wanted to step out of somebody else's shadow somebody who was humble but uh, certainly with a drive and and that was Hervé Renard and he was somebody who was European and there was this this thing at the time where uh, local coaches weren't as highly appreciated as European coaches um, and that was something that uh, came out to me in, in later games. That uh, uh, certainly with Stephen Keshi of Nigeria, when he took them to the 2013 Cup of Nations, is you know that African coaches just aren't appreciated. And the thing was, strangely enough, that uh, Elvin Renard didn't really seem to have much kudos here in France, other than being you know the sideman of Claude Lerouard. Well, I think that point about the local coaches. It, you know, is key for for Cote d'Ivoire here that they'd appointed uh, François Zahoui, so they had appointed a local coach, which was unusual for them. And I sort of feel he's he's kind of a victim in all this because his side was they weren't huge exciting to watch, but they were very very solid. We didn't let in a goal yeah. in the whole tournament. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, no. uh, and yeah, they 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 were you know a hair's breadth from from winning you know the, the first couple of nations. Cote d'Ivoire, well, since 92 for Cote d'Ivoire. And he would then have been the hero in the way that Keshi was a, the hero as a local coach a year later. And so who he sort of, because they lost the final, it, and quite were quite unlucky to lose the final. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I mean, they were quite unlucky both in how the game went and the fact that this ran into this team with the greatest sense of destiny behind it I've ever seen any team ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And his career sort of knocked off the rails by this. Mm-hmm. And it's not really his fault. He, he didn't really do much wrong. Yeah. Uh, but you know, oh, he lost. Boom, off he's gone, and and I, I've got no idea what he's done since. To be honest, hmm. no, but, sorry, Paul. But that's you know that's the sort of strange thing about it that Johnson says you know they 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 were very unlucky, and it was only preparing for for the podcast that I I looked back again at the game, and it was they played solidly. They weren't spectacular in fact they were quite drab but that they were doing the job and had Didier Drogba scored in the 70th well, minute yeah. we wouldn't be here talking about one of the greatest ever games because it would have been a functional I would imagine Jonathan would be telling me yes it was a functional thing <laughs> you know who played where and who dropped back and 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 yes it wasn't great but they got the job done the golden generation was fulfilled and as as Jonathan says, so who he would have been a complete and utter hero. Um, but no, he's not now because of this greater sense I mean, of destiny behind I was, the opposition. I was at Cote d'Ivoire's first four games. I was at all three of the group games and then the quarterfinal when they beat Ecuador Guinea uh, 3-0. And I have to say, those games were pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they beat Sudan 1-0, beat Burkina Faso 2-0, beat Angola 2-0. And it was... It, it was... It was like, look, I mean, they were totally the better side in each of those games. But it, it wasn't football I can remember at all. What eight years later? <laughs> None of that sticks for me at all. Despite them having Drogba and Toure and Javinho and a, you know a host of really good players. But do you think it was similar to kind of maybe Deschamps' approach with France in in Russia? Other than yeah, a, a I, th- I, I think that's a very good 
um yeah, I think that's a very good analogy. Uh, and I, I think actually even more so because of the, the shape they played, like Jacques France in 98, you know, they played the, the 4 3 2 1. So they had Kalou and Javinho playing off Brogba, but they had that, that base of three at the back of the field. So they had Yaya Tour in the middle, who obviously gives them a bit of creativity and was able to push forward. But then Sheikh Tiotto to the left and Didier Zakora to the right. There's a very, very solid sort of screen at the back of the field. And I guess if you know you've got the best squad in the tournament, which they clearly did. Yeah. If you don't let in goals, you will score goals eventually, mm-hmm. or you certainly get the chance to score the goals. And you would you would expect Drogba or Boney or Kalu or Javinho. Maybe you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect Javinho to score them, but um... <laughs> be involved in the move, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Well, Javinho is the one who who led the who created the penalty um, in the seventieth minute because in the final, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he. It's sort of, he come in from the wing and had gone a bit more central and drove into the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and in preparation, uh, I was uh, listening to the Ivorian commentary for the final, and and obviously they were super partisan, and um, to the point where they called Zakora maestro and Drogba Didier. To differentiate between the two Didiers, and one was the mic, <laughs> which I thought, okay, fair enough. But they was they were encouraging Jovino to just do exactly that, and to to make the Zambian defence have a few worries and a, a few doubts because they were they were handling Jovino when he was out wide. Um, they just weren't getting um, punished at all, and it's when he came in and and started driving at them that's when they started to falter a bit and. And it's it's kind of strange that they didn't work it out before, given that they had so much tactical awareness, um, and and almost played into Zambia's hand in that way. Mm. I mean, Jovino was playing, I think, for Arsenal at the time, you know. So he's he's always going to be on everyone's radar at a, a tournament like this. Um, I mean. Jonathan, who did you think, you know, Ivory Coast, obviously, among the favourites going into this tournament. Senegal were mentioned earlier. They went out quite badly in the first round. Where did Ghana sit in this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ghana clearly were, were one of the favourites. You know, they'd um, they got to the final two years earlier with a young side. They'd done really well. I mean, they'd lost 1-0 to Egypt and Fowler quite, you know, they were outplayed in that game. Mm. But they they had, I mean, uh, you know, Asamo Jan, obviously they they had um Kwadu Asamoa. Uh so that you know they had players who would go on have very good careers in Europe. And actually when they beat um when they beat Tunisia mm-hmm. in the in the quarterfinal, they were really, really good that day. And Dede Ayu was Andre Ayu was, was magnificent in that game. He 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 had the shit kicked out of him and just kept getting up and coming back for more and eventually got his reward that uh, the Tunisian keeper just dropped the ball at his feet and he poked it over the line an extra time. But his performance in that quarterfinal is one of the one of the great individual displays. Um, so I mean, certainly when when Ghana Ghana were then then playing Zambia in the semi final, there's no question that Ghana were the mm. were the massive favourites. So I mean, like, the, 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 for me, the tournament I I was based in Malabo to start with, and my plan was to stay there with Cote d'Ivoire, and then after their quarterfinal. To to fly to to Libreville, and the quarterfinal there was Gabon against Mali, and the expect my expectation was for Gabon to win that. And Gabon had been pretty good in this tournament, huge home support, 
Uh, they had Aubameyang. He was at Santa Etienne at the time, but he was clearly kind of becoming a great player. And so Gabon Cote d'Ivoire would have been a, a great semi. And so I, you know, I'd gone to Libre for the second half of the tournament. And then because of the growing Zambia story, and because Mali ended up winning that, that quarterfinal on penalties and uh, Aubameyang misses the... I mean, it's an extraordinary thing. The, 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 the wife of the president, uh, Sylvie Bongo, uh, Sylvie or Sylvia? Sylvia, I think maybe rather than Sylvie. Anyway, she um, she wore an Aubameyang shirt every game, and you sort of think in this in this crazy dictatorship, and and you know, in two thousand seventeen, you know, I, I exposed a massacre in Gabon by the government. It's you know, it, I mean, it hadn't happened at this point, but it's a repressive dictatorship, and the dictator's wife is wearing your name on a shirt, mm. and you step up with a penalty shooter and you miss it. I mean, what must that be like? The pressure yeah. he must have been under. Anyway, so because Gabon had lost, I thought, oh, Mali be Cote d'Ivoire doesn't, doesn't really entice me. I can see exactly how it's going to go. It's, a, it's two French-speaking teams, and my French just isn't good enough to, to do any work with the players, really. So you'd be relying on the Thierry brothers as ever. And they are great with the media, but I've done a lot of interviews with Colo and Yaya. Uh, you thought be- you'd give them a day off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I then uh, thought I need to go back to, to Bata uh, in in Equatorial Guinea, to to do to do the semi there because Zambia clearly is the story and also Ghana. I hadn't actually been at a Ghana game at that point. Uh, and so was a, it the, so was it Zambia's quarter final win over Sudan? Was that when Zambia, you know, suddenly they were just a, a game away from? Well, yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, I still don't really think people took them seriously as potential winners. I think they were always the the fourth of the four semi finalists, but mm-hmm. they're one game away from a match yeah. in Libreville. And, and your two Anglophone teams, from the point of view of somebody who doesn't really speak French, is, is more enticing. And so I end up because the yeah, you know, it, it wasn't even then. I was only talking about eight years ago. It wasn't a case of just going online and buying a flight. I had to go to a travel agency. It was a, the whole thing was a farce, to be honest, because my my credit card got eat, they, they wouldn't take cards. My my debit card got eaten up by a, by the machine in a bank. So I was loaned a load of cash by a German journalist. Uh, you don't see anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I have paid him back in full. Um, <laughs> paid for the flight in cash, uh, and, and the flight left like four hours after I bought it. So I rushed back to the, the the house where I was staying, picked up my stuff, raced to the airport, and and I had to fly to Malabo and get a connection there. But then the flight wasn't beyond for some reason. I think I think it was. It was flying via Sao Tome and then back to Malabo. Mm. Uh, but then there was something, they, there was a load of Chinese workers they had to transport. So they decided they would go Libreville to Sao Tome, back to Libreville, and then on to Malabo, which meant that the, the window of possibility to catch this flight was getting smaller and smaller because yeah. I had to get the connection. And I'd worked out, I think it had to leave by quarter past five to, to have a chance of me you know, catching the connection. It was a few... There was a few journalists there. I remember uh, Chisholm, the Nigerian journalist. She was there, and I was, I was chatting to her. And we both were saying, it's got to come by 5.15. And 5.14, the flight turns up from Saitome. So we rush on this plane, and we, we land in... And it, obviously, these things are never quick. And we, we land in Malabo, and I've got like you know, 10 minutes to spare. But you're assuming, because you know, air travel in Equatorial Guinea is not necessarily the most efficient thing, you assume there'll be a delay in the connection, so you'll be all right. Um, so, as we get come off the plane, we we sort of we know that I think there's eight of us needed to get on this flight. I see I see a plane 
boredom on the far side of the, the airfield. So I say to the steward, is that is that the flight for, for battle? And he says, yeah, it is. I said, well, can I just run across there and get on that? And he said, well, not really. I said, yeah, but I'm going to miss it if I go into the... And he, so he radios through and they bring, a, they bring a jeep over for us. So we start off and I'm saying, oh, hang on, we left our bags. Jeep screeches to hold. We then have to climb into the hold. And there's literally a couple of us in the hole going, is this yours? Is this yours? Like, chucking it out. We then go across this plane. We get on this plane. We land in Malabo. Land in Malabo. Sorry, land in Bata. Um, they take your fingerprints and everything. And say, yeah, take a photograph of you. But because I hadn't gone through immigration, because I was on a domestic flight, I never got my passport stamped with a, with a second arrival stamp I needed. So when I then decided after the quarterfinal, after say after the semi-final, I'd go by land to Libreville, which is a beautiful trip through the jungle. I then get to the border in, in Mongomo in the middle of nowhere, and they're saying, well, you, haven't got a, yeah, you haven't got your immigration stamp. Uh, oh, no, 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 I can explain this. Is this flight going to Saitome? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> this guard's going, and this has all been good. I mean, fortunately, I had a photographer from AP who was with me, and she spoke excellent French. And so she was doing most of the talking. And this guy was going, how do I know you haven't just, uh, you get a lot of foreigners, how, how do you know you don't want them? You get a lot of foreigners who, who kind of come in illegally through the jungle. And she's going, English foreigners coming in through? Really? <laughs> Have you read Inverting? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, anyway, we eventually get across the border and then we, yeah, we, so we had a car took us to the border, but he couldn't go across the border. So then we just had to, had to hitch a lift on a truck down to OEM. And it, yeah, Mongolia and OEM are places I never thought I'd go to again. But of course, the way the Cup of Nations has been, I've been back to both of them since. Uh, and then we managed to get a, we we hire a driver in OEM to take us on to Libreville. So we we got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, I can't remember, but uh, must have been on the late on the Thursday night, um, which is relevant because so anyway, look the semi final mm-hmm. uh, we should talk about. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know, Paul, if you had the same sense, but. I'd assume Ghana would win that, having seen their, their quarterfinal. And well, then I, I went to both camps the day before the semi, and Ghana was so complacent, I changed my mind immediately. I was like, Zambia have got this. Ghana think they're there. And they, they you, know, you cannot win with this attitude. There's no way they're going to win it. Well, I, I strangely didn't almost, I didn't need to go um, to go and see Ghana again because I'd been with them. Um, in the group stages in in Franceville, and I'd seen uh, their their four games, you know, the three games in the group stages, and then the and the quarterfinal. So I needed to switch um, my my attention and go and hang out with with Zambia and and try and almost become the instant expert um, on, on all the backstory. So I spent a lot of time with the Zambians. Um, and I got this sense that here was a really wonderful, wonderful story. And so I became rather seduced by this um, because I'd been with the Ghanaians so long. And I, I actually almost felt part of the crowd because I, my first Africa Cup of Nations was in Ghana and they were almost kind of kindred spirits. And I, I'd seen uh, Andre Ayou grow up within the side because I spoke to him when he was, I think, about 18 or 17 or 18 um, at his first AFCON at, in, at home in, in Ghana. And he was always ready to 
give a quote or two. So I always liked being it with Garner because I think he remembered uh, that, those early exchanges. But with with Zambia, it was a similar thing. They had great spirit. So did Ghana. And Ghana were, almost had the same kind of problem that they hadn't won it for so long that there was enormous pressure on them to to do well and bring the cup home. Um, and it was somehow their sense of destiny as well to win it for the first time since uh, 1882. Um, so from that point of view, each team had a right to win. Um, but then there wasn't this rather compelling narrative of the plane crash and these and this lost golden generation and and, and that for me took over much more <laughs> that became much stronger for me um but there was a similar sense of spirit and and i i just didn't get the yeah you know jonathan you say that they they become complacent perhaps i didn't see that complacency because i had been with them from the very very beginning and so when i switched camps so to speak um I saw perhaps a, a different kind of spirit, which was yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it was it was for that one game. It was, I mean, I was having having seen them only on TV, but having seen them in that quarterfinal of Tunisia when they fought so hard and it was a real battle. Mm. And I, I I was really shocked by the attitude in the camp having having seen that game. The two didn't didn't match at all. So I think mm. they just it was as if that was such a battle they got through it and they sort of thought. Oh, we can relax in this semi-final because it's only Zambia. It's only Zambia, yeah. But uh, and then of course they end up they lose the game one nil. Jan misses the penalty. Mayuka scores a nice you know, curling shot twenty minutes to go. And the thing, the thing I'll always remember from that semi-final was afterwards we went down onto the track around the pitch and uh, Kalusha was there. And there was I don't know maybe half a dozen maybe a dozen of us chat to Kalusha doing you doing interview with Kalusha. And the thing he said, which is when. I sort of realised um, just how big a deal the final was going to be. So he said, the final isn't going to be 11 v 11 because we're going to have 11 ghosts on our side as well. <laughs> and as soon as he said that, I, was, I mean, if you go into a game believing that, yeah, how, you can't lose. How do you lose? Yeah. I mean, for me, watching it all the way back in England, seeing this narrative build about about Zambia as you say Jonathan that semi-final there was something about it because you know I've, I, the, the, the one and only time I've seen an Africa Cup of Nations uh, it, it all in the flesh was in Ghana as well Paul and and I've always liked Ghana very likeable side and, and have produced some great players but that semi-final against Zambia as you've mentioned a number of times on this podcast before Jonathan, you don't believe in destiny until it happens. <laughs> See what I mean? And my goodness, you know that semi-final when when Jan misses the penalty. I mean, the 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 Zambian goalkeeper, what a character he was, and we'll we'll talk about him in, in the second half. But yeah, when they get through there, you think surely. Anyway, let's go for a quick break, gentlemen, and then we'll uh, be back to talk about the final itself. See you in a moment. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzards. So yes, we're we're finally there in the final in 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 Libreville, and there was you've, you you talked there, Jonathan, about um, Kalusha being on the on the running track and 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 his words there. Uh, Ave Renard was very aware, of course, of of the history, and he took his players down to the beach, didn't he, near the city? And that's one of the most um, astonishing things I've ever seen. Was- Basically, the last point of land that the plane had crossed in 93 
the Zambi team on the so the finals on the Sunday, this on the Friday. They go down there, all in the team tracksuits, and you sort of you you sort of thinking at first, dear, this is a bit bit naff. You know, the, the beach was a little bit dirty, so quite a lot of litter about. Um, they're all just there, you know, in their tracksuits, headphones on, but just like a bunch of players, and they 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 all have a bouquet of flowers. And then they start singing this song. I, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but some sort of national song. A very soft, slow song. And as soon as they start singing that, the mood just changed. And they they walk out into the sea and lay the bouquets down. It's the most moving... Th- I mean, hear my voice. <laughs> yeah, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the most moving things I've ever seen. But Jonathan, and it, you know, to come in and help you out there before you do start, yeah. <laughs> um, I I tracked down the um, the film called Eight Eighteen by uh, a guy called uh, Jean Rodriguez Rizzo, which is a film about the the whole game. Um, it's a Spanish guy. He had no connection with Zambia, but he 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 knew his football history a lot more than me. And he told me that what they were singing is, is, is in fact, a, a funeral song um, in Zambia. But they appropriated it to become a, a song of joy. And, and uh, he, he told me that he, he, he heard them, he got Chris Katongo and uh, a few of them to sing it when he was making the film. And he said that, you know, it was one of the most moving things he had heard because it was a celebration of death and 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 you know this this look of lust for life at the same time, and that was the song that they were singing, and that's the song they were singing during the final. Yeah, and it, it, they sang it during the penalty shootout, which yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. and it's it's not it's usually at Zambian funerals, um, but that didn't stop them from singing it, and and. And and these, this is the whole thing that suddenly you you were just on another plane of mm-hmm. of writing and of watching, um, and yes, we'll, we'll talk about the final. But it's the final started well before the final. It, it always yeah. seemed to me, and yeah. um, I I didn't go to that that walk along the beach. But um, what I did track down was something um, which. Uh, Emmanuel Mayuka said that he was moved by going to it. This is one of my reports for the radio station at the time. And he, and he just simply said, I was a small kid when it happened, but I'd heard lots of stories about the team. I've seen some of their games on tapes. I want to do everything I can to finish what they started. Yeah. And, and, and it's that sense of movement and, 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 you know, you're getting in touch with, something you can't touch and yeah. it's it just becomes so as i say so seductive that you just want to see if if these kind of fairy tales actually happen and this is what uh, you know jean rodriguez Brizo also said that you know i'm not a spiritual man he said but there was something happening in those days before the final and certainly in that final in that final <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they still had the the small task of overcoming the Ivory Coast, of course, who had won their semi-final, we should say, through a goal 
from Jovino. He does sometimes get them, <laughs> and uh, and but they, they were heavy favourites. I mean, you, it was extraordinary matchup in the final, Jonathan. You have the heavy favourites of Ivory Coast who have got the household names. You've got the Toure's, Jovino, Drogba. You've got Max Gradle, English football fans will know Sol Bamba, a young Wilfred Bonny, Czech Tiote. And and the uh, and the enigmatic Bubakar Barry <laughs> Gull, who, who we do love dearly on this podcast, and I'm sure he'll have his actual proper uh, moment one day um, on, on this pod. But but compare that to Zambia. Nobody in certainly in in Britain, I wouldn't have thought in most of Europe would have would have heard of any of their players. But they have this narrative, this spirit, this extraordinary sense of destiny going into that match. It, it was it was it was it was a it was a, a remarkable affair in in, in Libreville. Yeah, and, and um, it's you know it's not even like it was a young side who suddenly you know all went to Europe. And Mayuka obviously went to Southampton, but I'm not sure any of the others ever played at a remotely high level. I mean, Chris Katongo was probably the the biggest star, the centre forward. He played alongside Mayuka. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rainford Calaba, the left winger. Had been probably their best creative player in the tournament. Uh, Isaac Chancellor, the, the centre midfielder, I think had been good. Kenny Mwina, the, the keeper, was obviously a you know, huge personality. But again, it wasn't like he, he he'd ever played for a big club. Never really did play for a big club. So it it was just this was this was their moment, and they. Mm-hmm. I think you got to give Renard credit as well that, that oh, yeah. he knew exactly what he was doing, and he. Uh, yeah, he he created that togetherness and he he helped foster that sense of, of destiny. Yeah, I mean, and Kalusha as well. Actually, I mean, Kalusha being the sort yeah. of the embodiment of of a previous team. The fact he was there all the time mm-hmm. that must have been a huge. Uh, yeah, so it's giving spiritual leadership as well. Of course, but I mean, Ivory Coast had their kind of story going on as well. Um, Paul, I mean, not nearly as sort of profound and as as touching and emotional, but. You know, it was their golden generation. This was their time. Uh, it was coming to an end, perhaps, for some of those players. They would obviously go on and win the tournament in 2015 with Renard in charge and yeah. and another extraordinary penalty shootout. <laughs> but they have they had this um this this uh, uh you know little hangover perhaps from a from a previous final a few years earlier. They'd been beaten on penalties by Egypt, uh, of course, and. If, if if I remember correctly, forgive me if I'm wrong here, was there a bit of a feeling of sort of now or never for some of these players in Ivory Coast, or was that a bit, a bit too dramatic, Paul? Well, I don't think it was. I, I didn't feel it was a now or, or never okay. situation. That that it was just um, that it was it was it should have already happened. Yeah, okay. and, yeah, yeah, and and that was so curious and in. You know, for my first uh, Af- Africa Cup of Nations in in, in Ghana in two thousand eight, they were they were the big favourites, and mm. and it didn't happen then, and and so I looked at, at it, and and of course Egypt just swept swept past them, and and um, so I I always thought that somehow they were overhyped and under pressure. Um, because nobody talked about Egypt when on that incredible run was it two was it eight was eight ten and 
no, six, eight, and ten. Six, eight, ten was the three yeah. they won. Yeah. They, they so, won. so in the game you're talking about, there was they they won. Was it four one in the quarter final? Yeah, four one. Yeah, when Zaki absolutely destroyed Kolaturi. Yeah, is that the quarter or was that the semi? Um, I think it's what they got through. Uh, I think they won one nil in the final. Uh, Egypt that year. That was yeah, against Cameroon. They beat Cameroon in yeah. the final. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, you know, as I say, uh, my Africa Cup of Nations. Odyssey started with, oh, well, it's, it's going to be Cote d'Ivoire. And, and why is yeah. that? Well, it's because they've got Didier Zog, Trogba playing at Chelsea and X playing in Europe and X playing in And it was, done, and all these Egyptians were just playing in Egypt. And of course, nothing good comes out of Egypt, uh, obviously. Um, you know, so, and they, they didn't win in 2010. And they, they were there in 2012. It was they're, they're there. They're expected to be there. There's no reason why they shouldn't be there. And you look at the team. I looked at the team again, and yes, they're there. Um, but they had just because they were there didn't give them the right to win. And this is always seems. And this strangely enough seemed to be what the Zambians were playing on, which is that yeah, they're there in the final, but that doesn't mean they're going to win. And Katongo, you know, the, the skipper, you know, told me, yeah. yeah if we want to be on top, we have to climb over giants, and there's no reason why we can't. Um, and yeah, they 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 should have won. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I, I you know look back at it because you know Jonathan, right? You're right. I just didn't think it was a great final because I was too busy choking up all the time. But um, well, I mean, that's that's the other thing about that game. I didn't, I never remember press boxes emotional as that. Yeah. I, I particularly not sorry. Maybe that's not not entirely the right way of putting it. I don't never remember final where so many neutrals were as emotional as that. Yeah, mm. yeah, um, and it was the case that yeah, you look at it, and I looked at it, and yeah, they Cote d'Ivoire controlled the initial um, Zambian exuberance, started to play the ball around. They were actually quite stodgy in, in comparison with the Zambians, but the Zambians weren't offering that much in terms of incisiveness and they didn't create a huge amount of chances it, and and you just thought yeah this this ivorian block would just eventually crush the zambians and then there there came a moment where i the ivorians were looking to make the play but they couldn't because they didn't want to leave themselves open to the the speedy uh, Zambian counterattack. So there became this, this, this really smart tactical battle going on, um, which would have been fine had Drogba scored that penalty. <laughs> but yeah. and of course, in the last five minutes, you know the Ivorians were pushing forward, um, and they did everything. It seems to me, watching the game in, in the first ninety minutes, they did everything that can be expected. To try and make the play, break down stubborn, <laughs> stubborn insubordinates, really, <laughs> and, and and impose the game. And it wasn't as if they sat back and said, "Well, okay, Zambia, you're the big team. Um, you come and you come and beat us." They actually tried to play that role of big team as favourites, and it just didn't happen for them on that day. In a Max Max Gredel shot. Two minutes from time, which just rolls past the post, and I used to joke to my, I joke to my daughter. That in fact, it was going in, but the post was moved 
a few centimeters <laughs> because you know, there are other forces operating that day. <laughs> and drug bar's penalty was actually going in, but the, the bar came yeah. down. <laughs> um, so it's, it's unfair really to say that it, it was now or never because it was just the game that they somehow lost where in fact they did everything correct to win it. Well, it proved not to be never because they won it yeah. three years well, later. When, oh, yeah, but, but I mean, by 2015, yeah. I think there was a sense that this wasn't the golden generation. I mean, Drogba had gone yeah. by 2015. So that's yeah, sure. so that now or never. I mean, I, I remember kind of writing, it felt like every tournament I went to. So, you know, the golden generation, Last Chance Saloon. You know, a little bit near the door of Last Chance Saloon now. <laughs> they're, they're in the back alley outside Last Chance Saloon. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I, I guess they knew they had had the tournament, um, which was meant to be in Libya and ended up being in South Africa the following year. So it wasn't it wasn't going to be a huge weight if they lost this. But I, I, I do think I mean, you're never going to have a better chance to win a couple of nations than playing Zambia in the final, unless it happens to be this Zambia this in that Zambia. stadium at that time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of, of all the sort of uh, concoctions you come up with, I mean, it's crazy that. That, that Didier Drogba doesn't have an Africa Cup of Nations yeah. win as well. Well, I mean, Drogba as well, you know, he missed a penalty in the final in 2006. Yeah. He missed a penalty in the quarterfinal here. It didn't matter because they beat Ecuador in the 3-0 anyway. And then, but still, he sort of, a, <laughs> he sort of thought, ah, you know, 80 minutes to go. Drogba of all people, you know, he, he scored his penalty perfectly calmly, uh, what, later this year in, in Munich in the mm-hmm. Champions League final. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah. But now he blasts it miles over the bar, not even close, miles over. Well, it, and it's interesting because he he looks round at the penalty spot. Yeah, and 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 there's a little nod. Now I'm not sure if it was the same end as the shoot. No, it was the opposite end. Uh, but the other thing yeah. that struck me was, and it becomes relevant later on, Jovino, who's fouled for the penalty, he bursts in the box, so it's get bundled over by uh, Tadic Chancer, I think, who who mm-hmm. pushes him over, and it is a penalty. Um, and Jovino goes and hugs Drogba. Yes, and it's so premature. It is. I I, I yeah. didn't see that at the time, but had I seen that at the time, I'd yeah. have thought, "Oh, I don't like that." <laughs> yeah, an over celebration of winning a, a penalty is is, is crazy. We and then Kennedy Weiner, the keeper, does that that, <laughs> that wiping your face wrestling celebration <laughs> thing, which was in yeah. slightly bad taste, I think. But uh-huh. it wouldn't be the last time we saw that particular celebration. But um, yeah, so I mean, we should really fast forward to the penalties, gentlemen, because well, I mean, we should say Zambia do hit the post, and we give Bubagar Barry enough grief on this podcast for very good reason. Uh, and for Bubagar Barry fans, do listen to the podcast we've done on the 2015 semi because we do talk about Bubagar Barry scoring the winning penalty in the final. Absolutely, when it absolutely. suddenly all comes up Bubagar. Yes, uh, after he's <laughs> let them down again and again and again, <laughs> but he does actually make a really good save. From Chris Katongo early in extra time, that um, mm-hmm. uh, what is it? Uh, Felix Katongo, Chris's brother, puts in the cross mm-hmm. for him. He comes off the bench, puts in the cross, and, and Bubikar makes a really good save, turns the ball onto the post. So Zambia, I think Zambia actually were, although they were very defensive, they were slightly less defensive than they had been in the semi. Mm-hmm. But yes, it, it it goes to the shootout. Well, it's and, just as well actually you mentioned that moment because I, I think I remember watching it actually. You jog my memory and thinking, ah, oh, that was the moment. That was the moment for them, you know. A little bit of a smash and grab might be too harsh on them, but that was that 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 moment. And then, of course, it goes to penalties, and you look at the two lineups <laughs> and you think, surely Ivory Coast, you know, sort of technical ability. It's hard to predict sometimes with penalties. But the only thing I'd think... say about that is, hmm. in any pressure situation, 
would, and I know what happened three years later, slightly countermanded but in any pressure situation, who would you back? The Abullion Candy Mwina or the Buster Keaton of goalkeeping, Bubakar Barry? <laughs> Yeah, well, in this particular final, Jonathan, I would uh, I would go for old Kennedy, you know, uh, Muena, um, Mueni. But uh, yeah, so the shootout begins and uh, and you know, it, I mean, it ends eight seven, but it's it's tense. I mean, all shootouts are tense as a shootout in a final. Yeah, but but I mean, not what, not many shootouts are tense for quarter of an hour. It just went on yeah. and on and on. Well, well watching. So I remember. So I was I was filing live for the Guardian. And I remember kind of ringing them at the start of the shit. going, look, the was just starting. I'll, I'll, I'll file seven or eight minutes. And ten minutes later, they ring me back. And go, Why haven't you filed? It hasn't finished. Yeah. And I think it, it, it might not finish for a long time yet. <laughs> <laughs> just everybody seemed to be scoring. There seemed to be a problem with the penalty spot, Paul, which seemed to sort of give way after the after the first one. I think uh, Czech Tioti put, puts his penalty right. away. And that seems to be a bit of an issue, although not that much of an issue because uh, quite a lot of penalties were then subsequently scored. Well, to show my uh, flair with languages, you know, after watching the uh, 90 minutes with Ivorian commentary, I decided to watch <laughs> the penalty shootout with British Eurosport commentary. Yes, you know. I also watched that as well, yes. <laughs> and and they, uh, the presenters there started talking about the penalty spot churning up after you know, Max Gridell and Felix Katonga um, had taken those and, yeah. and was saying, oh, well, that's going to be, and it's unfair of the referee, Diata, to not allow them to place it. Um, I didn't, when I was watching the shootout, it, it didn't, it didn't become immediately obvious to me that there was mm-hmm. a problem. I was just thinking, what? It was just getting hot, uh, hotter and more humid, and it was, um, and it's kind of who's going to miss and. This is, as you say, surely these guys who grace all these top European sides are going to be able to to do this. But, but um, I'm reminded of um, what's uh, in, in these moments. It's um, you know it it becomes very 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 difficult to um, to do what you can do normally. Um, and we've seen it so many times in these big tournaments, and um, I'm I'm always surprised that a penalty can't be scored. And then then we had this thing where they were just scoring and scoring mm-hmm. and scoring, and yeah. then it comes to sudden death, and and they're saying, oh well, all the pre- the coach, you know, Ivorians are really lucky that. Uh, that they're going first because there's a chance that even if you do miss, your goalkeeper can save you. Um, well, obviously they haven't been listening to the podcast because uh, if it's uh, if back or Barry's getting so much grief, the um, the the comment, you know, the presenters. But it's it's the case that yeah, the Ivorians were scoring, and the the Zambians were being impertinent by responding as well, and. They seem to find the to find that spot, and I looking at it when Drogba came to take the fifth, um, and you think that takes guts to mm. to step up and and do that, and of course then to score. So you then put your you give your team 
a fighting chance again. No more could, could have been asked of Didier Drogba at that moment to show the guts. Um, and interestingly, during uh, the film A, A Team, um, A, A Team, uh, the Brito gets one of the um, the Zambians, um, and he says, that, you know, that they the Ivorians didn't want to, to go up. We could see they were scared towards the end. Well, you saw that really clearly. So yeah. there's seven penalties each of scores. It's seven seven, and then. Colo um, Toure doesn't want to go up, apparently. No, 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 no. Uh, Jovino doesn't want to oh, go up. Yeah. So uh, the sort of they're trying to push Jovino forward. He's refusing to go. Colo Toure does step up, at which Zahui gestures from the bench to get back. Jovino's taking it. So Colo Toure walks halfway to the box, turns around, walks back, and then Jovino still won't go. So Colo Toure has to do the walk again. again. Oh, right. And of course, he, his penalty is saved. So Rainford Calaba then has the chance to win it and puts it over. Yeah. And there's a great shot of the Zambian bench where it's one of those penalties where it's not immediately obvious he's put it over. There's a fraction of a second where you think he's just clipped it in the roof of the net. And they all start to get up. Yeah. And because they think they've done it and then... Oh, sit and they were singing the song as well yeah, well, in they, preparation. All, all, they were singing it all the way through the penalty sheet. That's how they were yeah. staying calm in the centre circle. If you, mm-hmm. if you watch the footage, you can see them, the mouths going. And so then, then Jovino is finally persuaded to, 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 to step up. But you know, you know yeah. with 100% certainty he's yeah. not hitting the target. You, you, you know what Jovino's like anyway. You know how sort of fragile his temperament is. And you think, having refused to go up, having created the environment in which you've made it much harder for Colotero, who's then failed, for him to then go up. And you sort of think then, would it not have been... I think the only two Ivorians who hadn't taken the penalties were Bubakar and Gosso, the, the right-back. You can sort of think, really... Would, I mean, given Bubakar then scores the winner three years <laughs> later, right. sort of think, would that, surely one of those would have been a better... A better option. Well, maybe Barry will learn from that. Maybe for well, the right lads, yeah, maybe. I'll, I'll see to this, you know. But so, of course, so Jovino it, goes up, yeah. and that's when this the whole sort of churn around the penalty spot becomes a massive issue, because it takes what felt like 10 minutes to get the ball on the mm-hmm. spot. And if you look yeah. at the footage, it's right on the back of the spot, because there's a, yeah, there's a trench around the penalty spot. And, of course, he puts it wide, as he always was going to. Yeah. And then the least likely of heroes, the least lucky man possible to, to win it for Zambia. Centre half. Sapira Sunzu. You know, just yeah, big, big ordinary centre half goes forward. Well he and just when he stopped um apparently you know from in the film it 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 says that um he stopped who was you know who was gonna go up and take it and said, No, I'm I'm doing this, you know, <laughs> and he goes up he says, because, yeah, I mean, never heard of him before, and then this big strapping lad comes up, and he just sort of says a few words, presumably, and sort of says, you know, for the A-team, <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> and then it just goes into, I mean, it, it was never not going anywhere else, you see what I mean? <laughs> right, I mean, he just did exactly the right thing, was he, yeah, he, he smashed yeah. it slightly to the uh, right of centre, keeper goes the wrong way, but he, yeah, no, nothing silly. Get it, get it Just on kick it quite hard on target, and that'll probably yeah. do. Yeah, mm-hmm. wonderful. I mean, it, it, and 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 it, it was going to go in because 
had they not have scored eight, how many match points do we need? But for me, the moment actually, I mean, that's obviously the moment of of the shootout, what you described there, but there was an incre- the, the incredible moment after the Drogba kick was, you know, you think Drogba scored and you think, right, okay, is this, is there a bit of destiny? Straight after that, Mwine, the goalkeeper, he steps up and takes one and just rolls it gently into the corner as if to say, right, well, okay, we've got to equalise here. Let's get that out of the way. Okay, fine. And again, it just normalises the whole thing for Zambia. The confidence to see their goalkeeper do that. But Mwina their... was quite a regular penalty taker because in, mm. in the following year, he was a regular penalty taker just in you know, in normal play, not even the shootout. I think he scored... He certainly scored one in a group stage. He might have even scored two. Yeah. I think I think he scored against I think he scored against Burkina Faso in, in in the following year in in, in the oh, group it was, stage. It was sensational. But anyway, they uh, win the game and all the celebrations, Jonathan. But what was it like in the press? Oh, but I mean, the, 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 and the greatest bit of celebration yeah, is yeah. come on, let's talk. That's what we want to talk about. <laughs> so the the, the left back uh, Joseph Mzonda had been injured very early, at ten fifteen minutes into the game, uh, uh, damaged his ankle, and was sat on the bench covered in ice, looking pretty miserable. He wasn't part of it. And so there's this huge pile on, the huge celebrations in the corner. And um you can see well, I mean you see on the on the uh on the TVs that Mizonda's looking at him and he obviously he, his ankle's too bad to get him get him down there. So there's Hervé in his white shirt, looking oh. like the Mills and Boone hero. <laughs> looking like I don't know, like St. Christopher, picks him off and carries Joseph Mizonda so he can so he can join the celebrations. Oh man. And it's, I mean, it's just such a wonderful, symbolic moment. But, but I just remember, I mean, it's, I held it together until I'd filed. <laughs> and as soon as I'd filed, I just broke down. I was just in tears for five, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And most people around me were in the same position. You did mm-hmm. your job. You did that as professionally as you could. But once that was over, just the, the, the release of tension. So what that must have been like for Zambian, and particularly one of the Zambian players, or, or Kalusha, I mean, for Kalusha, I mean, Kalusha was in, in that big pylon as well. Well, I remember talking to Kalusha yeah, afterwards. Um, he got him on tape as well. And I mean, it was my voice which was cracking. <laughs> and, mm. and, and, you know, because there's always the training, which is, you know, ask the difficult questions, ask the difficult questions, you know, with, do, do you feel as if, you've done them proud and you know i thought oh, this is too cliched you know but that those were the questions to ask you know can can their can their souls lay you know be at rest and it was you know yes that those are the questions and yes we have done them proud and yes they were here tonight and it you just can't you know to that's why for me it's the greatest game because i could been to loads of football matches and watched loads of football matches and, and been very happy when my team has won. Um, but this wasn't my team. This was these were other people and and seeing someone who should have been on the plane um, and has lived with that knowledge throughout his entire life and, and seeing all his mates go and then being part of a, another team and looking round and not seeing the people you've grown up with. And still soldiering on, um, it's and just to see him there, calm, answering the questions, contented, um, without a sense of oh, I you know, ven- you know, revenge or anything like that. It, it, he was just so inspiring in that moment of 
this dignity and this ability to transcend in a personal tragedy and give Zambia a moment of complete joy as well. And it was it was just great interviewing him because I knew who he was, you know, because, of course, six years before, <laughs> you know, what, four years before in, in Ghana, I, yeah, yeah, is he important? <laughs> Yeah. And four years later, I was able to go up and say, "You know, I know you're important now because I've done my homework." But, but what a what a great chance to go and talk to you know somebody who was in touch with the past, and they're very much part of Zambia's present. Wonderful, wonderful. That that was a great celebration. Like, you know, and what was happening upstairs after all that that pandemonium of victory and that release, and then the guy who had orchestrated it all is it great. Yeah, Paul, we could talk for another hour mm. about this fixture, I'm sure, and so on. But it has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you about this, the, the, the tournament, but but Zambia and and Hervé Renard himself, and so on. It just it is one of the most incredibly poignant, emotional, beautiful stories I think <laughs> from the history of football. Thank you very much for coming on the pod and talking to us. Thank about you very that. much. Absolute pleasure. For more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Uh, but from myself and Jonathan, thank you very much. See you next week for another great game. Thank you.